0: Good morning. <clears throat> I know what I'm going to be doing this afternoon. Bacon cookies, so. <laughs> Hope you all had a nice uh, Thanksgiving. I Hope at some point you um, remembered the story of, you know, that first Thanksgiving. Actually, it was the second Thanksgiving. The first Thanksgiving took place a year before in Virginia, but that's another story. Um, you know, the pilgrims... And um, uh, coming over to the New World because of religious freedom—that whole story—you um, look blank. So let me just fill you in a little bit. <coughs> um, King James the uh, First, 1603, became the King of England. Um, his cousin, Queen Elizabeth, had reigned for 45 years prior to him. In the first service, I. First service, I said it was her, his mother. Well, she was the virgin queen for 45 years, and, you know, there's only one virgin birth we're going to celebrate in four weeks, so. But Elizabeth's father was Henry VIII, you know, the guy with the six wives. And um, through some of his shenanigans, how he got rid of his first wife and had an affair with Anne Boleyn and all that stuff. He, he, he was Roman Catholic, but that didn't set well with the Catholic Church, so the Pope uh, excommunicated him, right? <clears throat> he said, a oh, well, big deal. And in uh, 1534, he did the uh, the uh, Supremacy Act, it was called, and uh, he set himself up as the head of the Church of England, started something new. And said, you know, that's what I'm going to do. You have kicked me out, I'm going to start my own church. Church of England. Well, when Elizabeth came to the throne, she was a shrewd gal. And she said, you know, she was trying to uh, Played both ends of the spectrum here. So she made the Church of England Protestant in theology, but Roman Catholic in ritual. Well, that didn't set well with the, with the Protestant uh, divines of the day. The Protestant Reformation, of course, was, had been going on, and <clears throat> so they uh, tried to do everything they could to, to change that. Um, got nowhere with Elizabeth, and so when James became king, They started working on him. They wanted to purify the church. These were the Puritans of the Protestant uh, uh, faith. And um, it became evident that James I was going to be much like his cousin and not going to budge. Uh, Doctrine, uh, Protestant, uh, ritual, uh, Catholic. And um, there were some of these Puritans in a couple of villages in northern England of Scrooby and Gainsborough who saw the handwriting on the wall and says, we're getting nowhere uh, with James I. So they began to meet clandestinely to do their own worship, and that was against the law. Um, they were viewed as uh, heretical, uh, seditious, and they were constantly looking over their shoulder, wondering if they're going to get thrown in prison, and, and many were, or or even killed for their beliefs. And finally in 1609, they said, we're, we're out of here. They sold their belongings and they moved to Holland where they had religious freedom. But after about a dozen years in Holland, they began to realize this is not working out. Our kids are learning Dutch, not English. We're Englishmen. Economically, they weren't thriving. So they looked to the new world and they saw a place that they could have religious freedom and hopefully economically thrive. And about 100 of them got loaded on a boat called the Mayflower and they came over here to this new world <coughs> and um, that's the story of the pilgrims uh, why were they called pilgrims well they were they were puritans they were separatists but there's a verse in hebrews 11:13 that uses the word pilgrims and um, from the king james version the very same king james and uh, that eventually stuck these were the separatists that left england separated from england and came over to the new world they were pilgrims wandering on this earth uh, but they were persecuted believers they came here to the new world because of persecution for their faith you've heard it this morning a little testimony from Daniel in uh, Pakistan I mean nothing's changed for 2000 years of the history of the church um, persecution has been um, a norm the God of this world it just wants to stamp out the bride of Christ the body of Christ and since the very beginning of the church that has been the case Take your Bibles and turn them to Acts chapter 4, because we'll see in this passage today the beginning of of that persecution as it sets in. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. It says, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead what had just happened remember they they healed this man who'd been blamed since birth and it was an incredible uh, uh, miracle and they were using it as an opportunity to proclaim that Messiah Jesus had died and he rose again well verse 3 they laid hands on them put them in jail until the next day for it was already evening But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Well, on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power, in what name have you done this? The Grand Inquisition begins here. Um, What an imposing, intimidating scene. Peter and John, uh, the apostles, are are placed in front of this um, austere group of divines, of of, uh, the heads of Judaism. It was called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was made up of uh, 70 men, plus the high priest, 71 men, who were the rulers of of Israel rulers of Judaism and Annas was the he was probably what you would call the high priest emeritus he had been high priest appointed by Rome in 86 to about AD 15 but he was the he was the grand doma of Judaism he was the godfather of Judaism and he had five sons and a grandson and his son-in-law Caiaphas was actually the acting high priest at the time of Christ and when these events take place but they had a lock on the on the um religious leadership the aristocracy the priestly aristocracy of the day Um, they had the complete control and here was this group this council of leaders the sanhedrin uh, different sects of judaism the sadducees was one sect of judaism they predominated the the sanhedrin there were the pharisees these are all educated learned men and here come peter and john out of prison, placed in the midst of them, and they're asked, By what name do you, who do you think you are? By what name do you do this? Um, And verse 8 says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders and people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, As to how this man has been made well, well, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the one, he quotes from Psalm 118, he is the one whom um, the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, which became the chief cornerstone, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That was a powerful message. In this intimidating, imposing setting, as they stand there in the center of these probably snarling, angry, wrathful leaders of Judaism who had just a few weeks before had put their Messiah turned them over to Pontius Pilate to be crucified, to be rid of him. There they are, standing in the midst of that. And don't miss it. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the guy who just six, seven weeks before had cowered before the slave girl at the fire uh, when they had arrested Jesus. He cursed. I don't know him. I don't know the man. And here he is with boldness, courage under fire, standing forth and saying you crucified your messiah god raised him from the dead and there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved jesus the christ he's the name he's the one this man stands before you today in good health where did that come from it came from the holy spirit just a few days after the day of pentecost when the holy spirit had been poured out upon the church and the church began Here they are being controlled by the Spirit of God. That's the power that Peter had. And Jesus had told them, you're going to get it. You're going to have it. Back in Luke chapter 12, he said, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't worry about how or what you're to speak in your defense and what you're to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And sure enough, in that very hour, as they stand there in the center in that inquisition, with power and strength, words were given to Peter and he spoke with strength and clarity in the name of Jesus Christ. What a, what a difference in their life. Now, it didn't wane. It continued. Look at verse 13. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated, untrained, ignorant men, they were amazed. And they began to recognize they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had uh, been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, and they said, what are we going to do with these men? What should we do? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But, verse 17, so that it will not spread any further among the people, let's warn them to speak no longer, to any man in this name and when they had summoned them they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus Um, it's kind of an ironic thing isn't it here was a guy who had been lame since birth he'd been leaping and shouting for joy he'd been instantly healed and now the religious leaders of the day are trying to squelch it trying to shut it off and what kind, you know, with religious leaders like that, why even have religion? Don't ever speak of this man again. Don't spread this ever again. Men, instead of celebrating, instead of shouting with them and saying, this is an amazing thing, because they, they couldn't deny it, it's clear an amazing miracle had taken place. And yet they try to, to squelch it. And what was Peter's response? In verse 19, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right, in the sight of God, to give heed to you rather than to God, huh. will you be the judge? For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. We cannot stop speaking. Boldness under fire. Now it said, "Look, these are dumb, ignorant Galileans. They were," it said, verse thirteen, "uneducated and untrained men, and so it was, fishermen from the north country, the hillbillies from the north and Galilee." They're uneducated, untrained men, but wow, did they pack a punch because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of what God was doing in and through them. And it says that they recognized, these are the guys who had been with Jesus. And boy, did they have run-ins with Jesus just a few weeks before, just the last week of Christ's life before he was crucified. And they are, you go back and read that in the Gospels, they are... They are trying to do everything they can to trip Jesus up, these religious leaders. They're asking him questions. They're trying to find the chink in his armor. They're trying to trip him up, find some cause to crucify him. And he held his own, as he did throughout his entire ministry. Luke chapter uh, 4, verse 32 says, People were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. There was an incident in John chapter 7 where Uh, The religious leaders, the Sanhedrin group, had sent their guards out to arrest him, to just get him off the street, to quiet him. The guards went to arrest him. They came back empty handed. And in John chapter 7, verse 45, the Jewish leader said, When the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees, they said to them, So why did you not bring him back? Where is he? And the officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks, he spoke with authority. They had never heard things like that. And now here, standing before them, were these uneducated, untrained doofuses from the north, you know, fishermen from the north, with boldness and courage. You crucified the Messiah. God raised him up. He's alive. You want to know how, why this guy standing beside him is healed and whole today in perfect health? There is no other name Under heaven, given among men, by which salvation comes. It's the name of Jesus, the Messiah. You crucified him, God raised him, and he's alive today. Wow, what power. Wouldn't it have been fun to have been a little fly in the wall in that place? And the people didn't, the leaders didn't know what to do. And so they warned them, verse 21, when they threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis upon which to punish them on account of the people, because... The people were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So they're released. Not for long, as we'll see next week, or in two weeks. But they're released. So what do you do now? What do you do now? Go pick at the temple and say, we were unduly mistreated, or you know, send letters to the grievance committee of the Sanhedrin, or... Um, you know wh- 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 What do you do now? Well, the disciples went back to their friends, and they began to pray. They held a prayer meeting. Look at verse 23. And when um, they had been released, they went to their own companions, and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when that gathering of believers heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and they said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, and now they quote from Psalm 2, why did the Gentiles rage on the people's divine futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah, his Christ. For truly, verse 27, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and all the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. Grant that your bondservant may speak your word with all confidence. Your bondservants will speak the words of confidence. There, there, There was their prayer request right there grant that we may speak with boldness while you verse 30 you extend your hand to heal with signs wonders to take place through the name of your holy servant jesus and look at verse 31 and when they had prayed the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak the word of the lord with boldness you see the connection here was their request grant that we will speak with boldness and the place was shaken, and the Holy Spirit filled them and controlled them, and they began to speak with confidence. That is effective praying. That is courageous, effective prayer. Grant this, and man, they got it. Now, let me just park here a little bit, because I do think this, this meeting of prayer was, was crucial. You know, if the, if the disciples were to come back and reported what had happened, um, if the people would have said, oh, my, oh no, what, what are we going to do? The, the religious leaders, they're, they're against us. We, we're in trouble. We've we, we got to get out of town. we got to figure out what to do next. If they panicked, uh, the church of Jesus Christ would have been over. Right here, Acts 4. It's, it's over. But they get together, and with confidence and courage, they prayed. They prayed. And so let me share with you a few principles, I think, that emerge from this a model prayer. What is effective, courageous prayer? What does it consist of? Well, first of all, notice it's a prayer that focuses on the greatness of God. When they got together and prayed, where did they first go? To God. They started there. When they heard this, verse 24, they lifted their voices to God with one accord, and they said, O Lord, it is you who made heaven earth and sea and all that is in it where do they go they go to a god who is the creator of all and by the way it says you O lord and this word for lord is only used here in the book of acts one time there's other words for lord that are m- the most common but they when they prayed they used a greek word despotas. that's where we go to word despot which has negative connotations today like that now there's a despotic leader negative connotations but this word conveyed the idea of supreme ultimate sovereign authority none higher despotas oh lord glorious above all that's where they went the creator of the ends of the earth of the heavens and earth and the sea and then all that is within them they were their mind was focused on the character of god that's where they started with prayer oh yeah everything was a mess around them Their disciples and leaders had just been uh, stuck in the middle of the Sanhedrin in this inquisition. But they go to the God who is the supreme ruler of all. Effective, courageous prayer focuses on the character of God. That's where you ultimately appeal to. This is kind of a dumb illustration maybe, but if um, if you wanted to get a tour of the White House, and you actually could ask the president for a personal tour of the White House or one of the groundskeepers of the White House, who would you ask? If you were going to um, uh, buy a house, would you ask the owner of the house or their four-year-old child? If you were going to uh, be, uh, have surgery, you go to talk with the chief surgeon or the volunteer who brings the flowers uh, up in the hospital? If your life is, if you're struggling and all the world seems to be pressing in on you, who are you going to go to? The despotas of all creation. The Lord God. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we have access to him because of Jesus. Effective, courageous prayer starts with an understanding of God's greatness. Second of all, there's a a reality that of a prayer that comes because it's anchored in Scripture. There was a focus of Scripture, verse twenty-four. That that comment about oh Lord, you've made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in it" that comes from the Psalms, Psalm, and then Psalm two. They quote, "Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise a vain, a vain thing?" We'll look at that in just a moment more. Psalm two. Their understanding of the greatness of God came because they have been anchored in the Scriptures they were people of the book and their prayers came that was motivated and generated because of their understanding of the word of God you know prayer is either prayer starts on an understanding of God that is shaped and formed in scripture or or typically it doesn't start at all effective prayer grounded in the scriptures the greatness of God did you see the theology that comes in this prayer it is you who made all things. God is the creator. Verse 28, he's the sovereign Lord of all to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Their God was not a God up in heaven biting his fingernails down to the nubs because uh, he didn't know what was going on. Like, what's going to happen next in the world? The God in heaven is the God who knows and ordains all things to come to pass. He is the sovereign despotas of all. And it's all being unfolded according to His perfect plan. God is not surprised by what's happening in the world. And they were anchored in that, their knowledge of God, because of the Scriptures. Thirdly, effective, courageous prayer has God's interests in mind. Notice again verse 29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence, while you extend your hand to heal, signs, wonders, and take, pl- will take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. For these early believers, it, it was what their concern was, was God's purposes and plan. We want your will to be done on earth and not ours. Lord, accomplish your purposes. Let us speak with boldness, but accomplish your... They had God's interests at heart. Now, God delights when his children come to him and and unburden their hearts about their own personal concerns and cares. Of course he does. Like any father would want a child to come up in his lap and Abba, Daddy, and share their uh, talk about their boo-boos on their little fingers and things like that. God delights when we come to talk with him. But as we go in prayer, effective courageous prayer is a prayer that says, Lord, we want your purposes done. Uh, our global missions program here for many many decades going on where we minister to people around the world and our first missions pastor years ago Tim McManigal would always pray Lord what are you doing in the world and show us how we can be a part of your program what are you doing in the world and we want to be a part of it thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven effective courageous prayer has god's interests at heart here's a fourth one courageous prayer effective courageous prayer is a united prayer notice verse 24 when they heard this they lifted their voices to god with one accord they were all united in this adventure yeah it was going to cost them their lives possibly but they were all united together it wasn't that they all prayed in unison but they were all one accord in their spirit as one person prayed Their hearts were united and they said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, we agree with that prayer. Another prayed over here, yes, Lord, hear our prayer, we agree with that prayer. Yes, Lord, amen to that. And they were one-minded, coming together, the strength of the unity of the body of believers. They prayed together, they prayed in agreement together to see God work his mighty works. Here's a fifth one, effective, courageous prayer acknowledges human needs and asks for God's resources. Lord, here's our need. We need to speak with boldness. Now connect that need with your resources. Lord, use us. Give us that power. We need to be bold. Give us the words to say. We believe in your greatness. We believe in your power. Now take our insufficiencies to accomplish your will through your sufficiencies. Father, accomplish what you want to do through your humble servants, which is a sixth one. Effective, courageous prayer balances God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Grant that we will speak while you do your sovereign work. Use us, Lord. There was this wonderful balance of my responsibility. Use us. We're not going to kind of hide away in some hidden room in Jerusalem, let this thing unfold, things quiet down a little bit. No. Lord, you've got something you're doing here. We just saw the guy healed who'd been lame for 40 years plus. You just gave Peter and John and the disciples incredible power filled with the Holy Spirit to be in that Sanhedrin and stand firm to lift up the name of Christ. Lord, now give us boldness and power to continue that while you do that work in and through us. Finally, the effect of courageous prayer is prayer that is prayed. They prayed. They got together and didn't analyze the situation. They didn't get together and come up with a game plan. The early church got together and they prayed for God to do his work and to use them in the process of it. Effective, courageous praying. You know, this weekend we've got uh, exciting things coming up with Follow the Star again. But man, we can sit back and say, well, you know, we've been doing this for 13 years. We got this thing down cold. Yeah, we'll do the thing and all, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll be another wonderful weekend. Folks, you know, absolutely nothing of eternal value is going to happen this weekend. Nothing of eternal value is going to happen this weekend if we don't pray. There's going to be thousands of people potentially coming here. Many of them are probably going to be believers. Some aren't. And maybe for the first time as they go to that statement on the cross, they'll hear the good news of Jesus. Folks, we've got to pray that God is going to open their heart and hear that good news. Because nothing is going to take place without that effective, courageous prayer. May we do it, Father, with boldness. May we present to this community the good news of Jesus. And we've got to be all in one accord on this thing. And pray together that God is going to do something of eternal value. Now, we may not see what that is until we get to heaven. But that's what this is about. We don't do it because it's a nice little Chris, Christian Christmas thingy thingy to do. <laughs> God has given us an opportunity to present to this community. And that's just one little bit of it. That's a safe thing. You know, we can all do it together. But what about the neighbor next door? What about the, the, the family member who doesn't know Jesus? People dying and going to hell. And, and we, we need to be praying prayers of power and boldness that we would be, that we would speak the the truth of Jesus into this darkened world today. We need to pray prayers of boldness. Here's some things to wrap up with. What does this passage teach us? It teaches to pray courageous prayers, specifically boldness to witness for Christ. It's not easy to share with that co-worker, that schoolmate. But what we need to do is pray for boldness, that we can tell people about Jesus. We need to pray courageous prayers. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to empower us, because nothing's going to get accomplished in our own efforts to get it done. Lord, I am an uneducated, untrained doofus from Galilee. (laughs) But with your enabling strength and power, you can take my fumbling and, and misshapen words And Lord, you can open a person's heart that will impact them for all of eternity. So do it, Lord. Use me. Let's pray courageous prayers, align the Holy Spirit to empower us. And let's, thirdly, let's speak boldly of Jesus Christ. You know, something that bugs me sometimes right now in this day and age of our evangelical Christianity, if you don't mind me saying so, I sense that there's almost a hesitancy among Christians today. To to not want to offend people. Got to be careful what we say so we don't offend people. We got to come across tolerant, right? That's the spirit of the age. Do you think that was going through the mind of Peter and John standing there in the Sanhedrin? Oh, hey, John, how are we going to handle this? I don't want to upset these people. We don't want to offend them. Are you kidding me? You crucified them. You put them on the cross. God raised them up. And Sanhedrin, us. you're sitting up there, Caiaphas. Let me tell you something. There is no other name in, under heaven by which you must be saved. It's the name of Jesus Christ. You crucified him, God raised him from the dead, and he's the Messiah. And you better watch out because he's gonna come get you. That's Psalm 2. Uh, yeah, the gospel is offensive. I'm sorry, folks, but when you talk about Jesus as the only way to heaven... That's offensive. What do you mean he's the only way to heaven? Don't all roads lead there? Aren't you kind of narrow-minded and bigoted? I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said, and there's no one who comes to the Father but through me. And folks, there's no other way to sugarcoat that. There's one way to get to heaven, and all of the roads lead to hell. And we've got to stop worrying about offending people. We've got to call sin, sin. And we've got to do it with love and grace and mercy. I know that. I understand that. But for Pete's sake, what's going on in our Christian circles today when we're so concerned about offending people? There's an evangelical leader who won't even go to the Old Testament anymore. Even talk about the Old Testament because there's offensive things in there. Well, i not very passionate about that, but let's speak boldly for Jesus. <laughs> and while we do, expect suffering. Because this world does not like to hear the stuff about Jesus it does and it's increasingly isn't it the darkness in this world in our country it's increasing and i'm sure those people sitting in those chairs in the sanhedrin were snarling in fury as peter and john shared the good news of jesus and that's the reaction you can almost expect these days to talk about jesus to talk about his love and grace to talk about what he did on the cross that paid for our sins It's not accepted today folks and that's okay god is working out his sovereign gracious plan all he wants us to be humble servants who effectively courageously pray and speak boldly for him pray courageous prayers allow the spirit to empower us speak boldly for jesus expect suffering paul said in second timothy 3 12 all who desire to live godly are going to be persecuted And finally, always remember, in the end, God wins. God wins. Folks, it's a no-lose situation for us as believers in Jesus Christ. A no-lose. And so as we wrap up, turn with me to Psalm 2. Because this psalm, Psalm 2, was the very thing that the early church 2,000 years ago was reading. The very thing we're just about now to read as we wrap up this morning was the very thing the believers gathered together with Peter and John and James and the, the disciples that God had impressed upon their heart. This very psalm, it's a wonderful psalm, a short psalm, one of the psalms of coronation of the Davidic kings, but it's anticipatory. It's, it's a psalm uh, that is prophetic in its nature. Uh, four stanzas of three verses each, very simple. Here's the first one. It, it, it is the the statement of the rebellion of the nations why are the nations in an uproar and the people's devising a vain thing the kings of the earth take their stand the rulers take counsel together against the Lord Jehovah and against his anointed and they say let's tear down their fetters apart let's let's cast away their cords from us that's what the world is saying we don't want you God don't give us this exclusive gospel message of one way only Don't come to us with that. We'll tear you down. We'll break apart your fetters. And this very day, the nations are in an uproar and the unsaved people are devising vain things, futile things. And then the Father's response in verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. And he will say, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. God is not to be trifled with. He sits exalted in his throne and in the psalm it's like he snickers and laughs at the futility of the world to throw off his supremacy over their life. He's determined to install his king on the throne. One day Jesus is going to return. The heavens are going to break apart and the Lord is going to descend with power and he's going to sit on the throne of, the father, of his father David. And he's going to reign supreme with righteousness and justice and with peace. And everyone is going to bow their knee before him. And so the father now laughs knowing that his son is installed. In power and then the Sun as if the Sun speaks his role verse 7 I will surely tell of the decree of Jehovah God he said to me you are my son today I've begotten you ask of me I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth your possession you shall break them with a rod of iron and you will shatter them like earthenware this is what the early church was reading they knew from Psalm 2 we win The Son is going to return, and He's going to reign supreme. And then there's like this final stanza. It's uh, The the Holy Spirit is speaking. Uh, A final commentary, verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice with trembling, and kiss the Son, that He may not become angry, and you perish in the way, for His wrath may soon be kindled. For how blessed are all those who take refuge in him. The early church was gathered. They were huddled down with power, with encouragement, with hope, with joy. Because they knew, we win. Jesus is coming again. And the warning was to all those elite priestly aristocracies up there in the the sections of the Sanhedrin, you better kiss the sun because he's coming in fury and in wrath. Our God reigns, and he's supreme. And that infused them with hope and with courage, with power endued by the Holy Spirit, to not huddle down in fear and in trembling, but to be the voice of strength of God in a darkened age and world. And folks, that's what a church of Jesus Christ is called to be. That's what we're called to be. We need to get together and pray. We need to pray because of the greatness of God. We need to understand the greatness of God through the word of God. We've got to be men and women of the book. And we've got to pray with power and strength and we have to ask God to empower us to be that force in the world for righteousness and goodness. To proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in this world. That's what we're here for. That's why we're not in heaven yet, while we're still here on earth. The bulk of the church is already up there in heaven. We're still here. And so let's, with power and with courage, let's keep praying, let's keep speaking with boldness and trusting the Holy Spirit that we will be what He wants us to be as He's fulfilling His plan for the ages. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your desire to want to use insignificant people like ourselves uneducated untrained just like the the boys from galilee to stand and with boldness and clarity not worrying about offending people or being in, coming across intolerant but with boldness and clarity say there is hope in jesus this world needs to see it father And man, do you tee it up every year, Lord, with Christmas. All around the world, there's these celebrations going on about Christmas, and my goodness, what an opportunity, Lord, you give us every year to proclaim the power of Jesus, the truth of what he's done, of who he is. Knowing all along, Father, man, we're on the winning side. And we say hallelujah, we're so grateful, Father, to be your children. Now, Father, may we... with boldness in our prayers and and boldness in our speaking be the church of jesus christ you've called us to be in jesus name i pray amen